everybody. It is good to be back. I think I've lost count of how long it's been since uh, we've actually been in church with our family due to being sick, but it is, it is good to be back. Okay, you should have your uh, handouts there. The text verses are, uh, as you can see, in the, in the Gospel of John. And the theme for the lesson tonight, as you can see, is a disciple of Christ. Let's go ahead and read these two verses, and then um, we'll, uh, we'll pray and get rolling here. John eight thirty one says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Over in chapter 13, um, verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here again, especially just for my family, myself, my, myself and my family being able to be back um, in church. And um, I pray that um, you, just be, you just be with us this evening as we look at uh Look at this lesson about being a disciple, um, being your disciple, and I pray that it would be a challenge um, to others, as it was to me, um, that you just continue to, to work on our lives, and that you'd um, just put your finger on things in our lives that, that we need to change, and um, ask you to, to speak through me, speak through your word, um, use me as just the conduit for that tonight, Lord, that, um, again, it would be a blessing and a challenge um, to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What's a disciple? Probably lots different. I got a follower. Anything else? Any other? Student. Student. Disciple is a pupil, the one who learns from another's teaching. Of course, all the other words kind of be synonyms, kind of for that, for that thought. And as Christians, we're disciples of Christ, and we have an important relationship with the master teacher there. So there's a threefold purpose. I won't read those right now because that will be the, uh, the three-minute points on that as disciples. Um, but some, some objectives to think about this evening as we look at, uh, look at the lesson that, number one, that we would just understand the relationship that Christ desires to have with his disciples, that also we would know that criticism for Christ's sake is part of what makes us distinctive followers for Christ. The number three, that we would just execute our prime responsibility as a disciple, and that's, of course, to go and tell the world about the death, burial, and resurrection, or the gospel of Christ. Again, so let's jump right into the lesson here. We've already read the two text verses there out of John. Um, again, we've already seen as well that you no know, disciple has, has the idea of just a learner or a pupil. Um, Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha, kind of demonstrate two different types of disciples. 
Uh, now, when Jesus visited their home, now, of course, the story you're familiar with, now Martha was the one bustling around in service, doing good things. Well, Mary simply sat at Jesus' feet. And when Martha complained, then, of Mary's lack of doing, the Lord would again gently rebuke Martha's lack of listening. And Luke 10, 41 to 42, I, I don't think that's on your sheet, but uh, I'll go ahead and read it here. It says, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So taking time to simply sit at the feet of Jesus and listen as he speaks is the attitude of a disciple. Now Jesus invites all, come unto me and learn of me. That's in that passage in Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me, all you that weary and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. But he also says, learn of me in that passage too. The invitation is open, so we need to respond. And the Lord's eager to teach. We need to be eager to learn. So the uh, point number one here, um, all of these start, all the main points start with a C. So a disciple is one, two, three, six-letter word. A disciple is, starts with a C. Think beginning. Think about Jesus' disciples. What was the first thing? They were called. A disciple is called. And, of course, you kind of can probably see it right here. A disciple is called. Jesus had many disciples, think about that, but he had 12 whom he specifically called to him and, speci and specially chose to teach and train, Sp people that he specifically invested a lot into, more than, it, more than the rest. And the calling that these 12 received applies to us today, really. And involves two parts. So point A, subpoint A, is to be something him. Four letter words start with a W. To be, to be with him. Matthew four eighteen to twenty two. Those should be the first verses on on your sheet there. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father, and followed him. Answering Christ's call to be a disciple meant, think about, uh, well, think, hold it for a second, think about what it meant for them, kind of firsthand, back then. Think of the, they get to witness firsthand his miracles, and meeting the needs of those that no one else could help. They would see him heal the sick and afflicted, of course, miracles there, feed multitudes, Calm the raging sea, restore dead to life. They heard his words of wisdom, his comfort, and his rebuke. And in those days, 
Interestingly enough, in those days, it was the disciples staying with Jesus and following him wherever he went. Today, the Lord, through the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells us as believers and is present with us at all times. This is interesting to think about. They had to be with him, but the Lord is with us today in that. It's interesting. Some of the things Jesus was talking about, I think it's in John 16, talking about the comforter, says it's expedient for you that I go, because if I don't, the comforter will not come to you. Romans 8, 9 to 11, Romans 8, 9 and 11 are the next verses there. I think that's you there. Oh, it's me? I think it's you. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. That you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. It's interesting. In, my, in the teacher's book here, that um, phrase is bolded three times, but you see it three times. Dwell in you. Dwell in you. Dwelleth in you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit interesting never really noticed that before and those those three verses but that's brought out three times in those two verses there and the holy spirit indwells every person who has a relationship with god and he's always with us and he desires that we would always be aware of his presence we're called to be with him yet sometimes we try to compartmentalize our lives and keep him out of certain areas and we should remain cognizant of his presence in our lives there were a number of Old Testament saints that provide an example of living in the presence of the Lord. Think of Enoch. It says he walked with God in Genesis 5. Also in Genesis 6, Noah walked with God. Same phrase is used there. Of course, there's um, several Old Testament kings that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Think of like uh, Josiah, Hezekiah, guys such as that in Kings and Chronicles. Living in the presence of the Lord also means that hardships will come sometimes. In Matthew 26, we read about the Last Supper, where Jesus would say, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me, in verse uh, 21. And at that point, all the disciples promised that they'd be faithful to him. You know, we also have that same desire, if we're one of his. Do we not intend to stay faithful? Even when things get rough, you know, I'll be faithful no matter what is easy to say when life's going well. But as one, this is an interesting statement here, but as one man said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Interesting thought. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. In the lives of the disciples at this point, that test was just about ready to come. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Jesus asked his disciples to wait while he went further to pray. Now, actually, I think he left most of them. He left the eight, and then he took Peter, James, and John with him further in, and then he went himself further alone. He, of course, poured out his soul to the Father there in uh, um, Matthew 26, verse, 20, verse 39. O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And, of course, then he would return from prayer, not once or twice, but three times, and find them asleep. 
men that were specially chosen, who had promised that they'd die with him before they would deny him. They couldn't fulfill that simple request to watch him pray. But as Jesus did say, and that's definitely true of us today, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Soon the soldiers would be coming, led by Judas, to arrest him. Now was the time for the disciples to show the resolution and back up what they said. But what does it say happened? All the disciples forsook him and fled. But Peter followed him afar off. And, it, and we can also see from our story, the Gospel of John, that apparently John himself kind of was, was known, if you remember, of the high priest's family, so he was kind of able to have a little bit inside and then let Peter in the door and that kind of, that kind of thing there. But Peter did follow Jesus at a safe distance. This lack of proximity could describe many Christians today. They follow Jesus to a point, but remain, at a, but remain at a safe distance so they're sure not to get too carried away. This, this statement here is kind of a, was a bit of a convicting statement here. Away from the presence of the Lord, Peter soon found himself at a place of decision in his life. Matthew 26, 69 to 74. The angel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech be raised. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. But in reality, Peter's denial actually began when he left the presence of Christ. That's where it started when he left. It wasn't there. It was when he left. Christ. Apart from the Lord and under pressure from hostile surroundings, he denied the Lord. The second time with an oath. And then with his third denial, says he cursed and he swore. Shocking, is it not, that a disciple of the Lord would go this far to deny the Lord? When we distance ourselves from the Lord, there's no telling how low we will go. It's an interesting statement that away from the presence of the Lord, he soon found himself at a point of decision. And when we distance ourselves from the Lord, there's no telling how low we'll go. Distancing ourselves from God's presence has an effect on our reputation as well. This is an interesting thought. Remember the disciple that we call Doubting Thomas? He was not with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. And Thomas said in, in John 20, 25, says, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Of course, Jesus would later reveal himself to Thomas again when they were with him, when he was with them and the second time Thomas was there with him. 
But Thomas certainly missed a blessing because he wasn't there the first time. And as a result, his reputation was set for all time. It's important as a disciple of Jesus to be present with him. So subpoint B, not only to be with him, but then also to be something him. Starts with an L, four-letter word. There is a song about this. To be like him. Luke 6.40 tells us, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. In this sense, the word perfect means complete, one who is what he ought to be. The disciple is one who continually who is continually becoming like his master. The disciples of Jesus were like him, and people noticed. The people around the fire charged Peter with knowing Jesus because they said, Thy speech bereath thee. The word bereath has the idea of clear, evident, or manifest. It was obvious to them that Peter was a disciple because of the way he talked. In another passage, you can see it also talks about partially because of his accent, probably. But also, you could apply the principle to the idea of because of he'd been around Christ. It was tragic at that moment that Peter chose to curse and to swear in an effort to prove that he didn't know Jesus, but it was too late. His speech had already given him away. When people hear us talk, would they say, you're one of them? a disciple of Christ. You know Jesus. We can tell by the way that you talk. Romans 8, 29. He did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Christians should strive to be like Christ, a high-quality copy that can't be distinguished from the original. We are conformed to the image or copied from the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And then Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Why not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with your deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him? We're called to follow his example by following his steps. There's a lot of different songs about that. Stepping in the light. Um, and there's another song that's, that's in the book here. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. Pure as thou art, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. It's a good song. A disciple of Christ is one who's called to be with him and called to be like him. So point two, we had a disciple is called, and now point two here, a disciple is, starts with a C, not chosen, this has a... Um, generally has a negative connotation to it, but it's not in our context here. Um, it's a longer, longerish word. We definitely don't like this. We definitely don't like this when people do this to us. 
A disciple is criticized. Personal criticism is, is extremely hard to accept. But Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was severely criticized while he was here. Think about Christ. Everything he did displeased somebody, especially the Pharisees. <laughs> they didn't like his healing people on the Sabbath. They didn't like his eating with publicans and sinners. They didn't like his claiming that I and my Father are one, you know, in John 10. And they didn't like that he didn't wash before dinner. They, the list could go on. Jesus taught us to expect criticism for the sake of being his disciple and even to appreciate that criticism as an honor. Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Some interesting words in that. There's a, a similar passage in Luke as well on that. So, and so sub-point A here, the disciples criticized, but I guess A and B talk about maybe the scope of that criticism. The first one starts with a C. The second one starts with an I. If you get the second one, you might get the first one. Think of it, it has more of the idea of quantity, the quantity of people. A disciple is criticized. This is more of the focus of that criticism. First one starts with a C, second one starts with an I. Once you get one, you'll get the other. So if a disciple, basically, yep. Corporately. By choosing to be a disciple of Christ, you automatically align yourself with a group that is very often criticized. You think of the term Christian fundamentalist. You know, that term's often the equated to the idea of a nut or a fanatic or an extremist. A little religion is respected in the world. It kind of has the whole idea of following Jesus, but not all the way. Every presidential candidate seems to claim that he believes in and honors God and has some sort of church affiliation. But a person who insists that he genuinely believes the Bible, attends church regularly with his Bible, believes in and practices tithing, prays, expects God to answer, you go down there, witnesses to others, generally regarded as a few fries short of a Happy Meal. Have you ever heard that phrase before? We read in the book of Acts of the persecutions that were encountered by the early church. And aside from anything they did individually, early Christians were persecuted simply because they were members of that group. Think of the Apostle Paul after the stoning of Stephen, which actually Acts 8.1 is talking about that there. Go ahead and read that, whoever has that next. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad. And I think it's in chapter 9, it's talking about Saul breathing out threatenings and slaughters, then you know, entering into house to house and hailing men and women, taking to prison. Acts 12.1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. 
we can all relate to this concept because we tend to judge individuals by stereotyping their group. Think about that. We tend to judge individuals by stereotyping their group. You ever stop to think about how many different ways there are to group people? No, man or woman, old or young, blonde or brunette, Cubs fan or a White Sox fan. And for those who are still fighting the Civil War, you got Yankees and Rebels. In Acts 24.5, an orator named Tertullus began to accuse the Apostle Paul before the Roman governor Felix. Finding him, this is what they said, what he said about him, a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, those accusers called the disciples of Christ a cult. They'd probably considered us a cult today. Now, Paul reports um, in 1 Corinthians 4.13, this is him talking here, it says, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. Now, although we will be criticized, disciples of Christ ought not to be concerned about those accusations because we're to be in the world but not of the world in John 17, 15. God has left us here to live for him. And as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand together as a group. And we need to accept that sometimes we'll be criticized as a group. And subpoint B, first, first we had corporately, and then B is individually. As disciples of Christ, we will also be criticized individually. And we have that promise of it in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Living for Jesus can cause you to be criticized <clears throat> excuse me, and persecuted. And there are times that that persecution will be personal. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was accused of being a blasphemer. It's interesting, thinking about most of these early Christians, they couldn't find anything wrong with them except lying about them, except lying about them and making things up. Because Stephen was accused of being a blasphemer. Paul was pointed out individually as being a troublemaker. Jason, who in, in uh, the house of Jason, I think that was in Ephesus, um, Ephesus or Corinth, who had taken Paul in and cared for him, was persecuted for his compassion of taking Paul in. Naturally, we would rather not be criticized. And we tend to take criticism personally and allow it to wound us, even when we should know that the criticism is for Christ's sake. But we need to understand that we can't seek the friendship of the world just to avoid persecution. James 4.4 warns us of this. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The world does not understand what it truly means to be a disciple. Because of this lack of understanding, Jesus' disciples were criticized. Be prepared for people to murmur against you if you insist on being a disciple of Christ. Luke 5.30. 
But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Kind of interesting the wording there. One, their scribes and Pharisees murmured against, wasn't he against Jesus in this instance? It was against his disciples. Not only will the world persecute you, but other believers may also persecute you for being a true disciple of Christ. That can happen for a variety of reasons, such as if you're more serious about living for Christ than they are, they may feel guilty, and they may react by lashing out against you. Acts 13.45 gives us an example of Jews who were jealous of Paul. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, those that were following and listening to Paul, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. They were losing their followers to Paul, and so they went after him verbally, speaking against him and contradicting him, blaspheming, criticizing him. They'd often be the ones that were stirring up people against him. They were, the Jews were often the ones that stirred up the pot to get Paul in trouble um, with, with the government and stuff like that. But Paul would remain faithful in the face of that, of that criticism, just as we should. So on to our last point this evening. We have a disciple is called, a disciple is criticized, and then lastly, a disciple is, the C, longer word, disciple is commissioned. God has commissioned his disciples with specific tasks to complete. There's two of them, our two uh, sub-points here. The first one is to, starts with an L, not lead, five-letter word, to learn, yep, to learn. The disciples had special opportunity to learn directly from the Lord Jesus. He explained things to them and taught them things that he didn't share with the multitudes. Many times Jesus spoke in parables to the multitudes and the Jewish leaders. And then when alone with his own disciples, he would then expound and explain the meanings of those parables. Mark 4, 33 to 34. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Matthew thirteen sixteen shares Jesus' reasoning on giving these revelations to his disciples when he was not willing to share them with others. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. The disciples wanted his teaching. They craved it. Many times in Scripture, we see them asking Jesus for the meaning of a concept. On one special occasion, they asked him to teach them to pray. Um, there's other, I think it's in Matthew, I don't know if it's Matthew 12 or Matthew 13. They even asked him, though, why do you speak to them in parables? And he kind of gave that answer there. Basically, they had the spiritual hunger to understand it, and they wanted it. As time went on, Jesus spent increasingly more time teaching his disciples about the future. In Mark 9, 31 to 32, Jesus explained the gospel to his disciples. And this is, uh, this is the verses here. It says, For he taught his disciples and said unto them, 
The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. Interesting. On another occasion in Matthew 24, the disciples specially asked for the meaning behind the prophecies that Jesus was giving. And Jesus explained to them what will happen in the last days. So the disciples of Christ truly were his pupils. And their major responsibility during those three short years of ministry were to listen and learn from Christ's teaching. After his resurrection, Jesus, Jesus continued to teach, not just to the twelve, but then also to other followers. Think about the two men on the road to Emmaus. He spent a lot of time with them that day, teaching them, going back over the Old Testament, all things concerning himself, I believe is that passage there. But, and before Christ ascended back to his Father, he made sure to tell his disciples that they would always have another heavenly teacher. Um, John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The learning process of the disciples never ended. And it should be the same with us today. All of us should be lifelong learners. Think about the Apostle Paul. As educated and as spiritually mature he was, he still felt the need to continue learning, even in prison, when he knew he wouldn't get out alive. In 2 Timothy 4.13, he made a special request for the books, but especially the parchments. If the Apostle Paul, after writing 14 books of the New Testament, still felt that he should study and learn, how much more should we? So subpoint B, we had to learn, and then uh, subpoint B here, we have to, starts with a T, four-letter word, four-letter word, to tell. As disciples of Christ, we have a commission to learn, but we also have a commission to tell. Uh, Luke 9, 1 to 6. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither stage, nor script, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. Whatsoever house ye enter into, thereby and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And, he and they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. The disciples had learned many things from Christ up to that point, and now he was sending them out to tell others what they learned. Although we never stop learning and growing, we also have a responsibility to share what we've already learned. It's kind of like that Dead Sea concept, not the constant intake, but the output too. As the em at the empty tomb that first Sunday morning, the angel told the women who came to tend to Jesus' body to keep it to themselves, right? And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. 
There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Matthew 28, 7. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that he was risen. And later in that same chapter, we have the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He wanted his disciples to pass on the good news, just as he wants us to pass it on today. The early church took that commission very seriously. The high priest accused the apostles of filling Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ. The faithful witness of the apostles was widely effective in Jerusalem, and the book of Acts offers the continuing story of how the gospel began to spread across the world. The last recorded words of Jesus before his ascension were this, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and unto the uttermost parts part of the earth. That was the commission given to the disciples to tell. That commission to tell others about Christ was not only given to just that special group. There's many examples that are included in Scripture of ordinary people who had seen the Lord do extraordinary things for them, and they wanted to tell others. Think of the woman at the well. What did she do? Went and told others. Think of the maniac of Gadara in uh, Mark 5. When Jesus was leaving, he wanted to come with him, but Jesus sent him to go tell. And the men on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus left them, they went back to the other disciples and told. So as the disciples of the Lord, we also have a commission, and really more than that, a privilege to tell others about Christ. In Matthew 10, 32 to 33, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. The word confess is the idea to declare openly, to speak out freely, to profess one's self as the worshiper of Christ. And then deny means to disclaim, as when Peter denied Christ. So the concept's pretty clear. If we speak up for Jesus before men, he will speak up for us. Think about that. Before his Father. And, but if we refuse to speak up for him, or worse, if we give in to fear and actually deny him out loud, he will deny us before his Father. Most commentators see Christ as an advocate asking for the answer to our prayers. And when we speak up for him, he speaks up for us, has the idea of a mediator between God and man. We should be careful of our attitudes. Sometimes disciples can hinder people from coming to Christ. Jesus' own disciples actually tried to keep people away from him on more than one occasion. In Mark 10, 13, we read, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought him. We should never view people as inconveniences, even when we're required to suffer inconveniences for the sake of allowing people to hear the word of God. 
gives the idea of giving up your seat in church to a visitor, giving up our prized possession in church <laughs> to a visitor. <laughs> so in conclusion, disciples of Christ are called, criticized, and commissioned. Are we the disciples that we ought to be? As his disciples, two distinct characteristics must be seen in our lives, that of rejoicing and fruit-bearing. Truly, we've seen God's mighty works. Let's be sure to rejoice over them and to praise God for the opportunity and privilege of being his disciples. So let's look at some questions uh, briefly this evening. We kind of already looked at this, but number one, what does the word disciple mean? It's the idea of a, a learner or a pupil of someone. Point two, or uh, question two, when did Peter's denial of Christ actually begin? When he left. Number three, what characteristic of Peter did those at the fire recognize that identified him with Jesus? His speech. His speech was evidence to them that he'd been with Jesus. Number four, in what two ways may Christians be criticized for Christ? This has the idea of, uh, I think it's point two, corporately and individually. Corporately as a group and then individually or personally. Um, question five, Christ wants us to be continually aware of his presence and to open every area of our lives to him. Has he convicted you of areas that you've closed off to him? And then if so, what? Again, question for yourself to answer there. How can you respond to both corporate and individual criticism in a godly way? What's some, some thoughts there? Rejoicing? How about refusing to make it personal? Praying for them? Praying for the criticizers? Again, a lot of different things we could, uh, could talk about there. A disciple has been commissioned by Christ to learn. And then what's something you are learning or have learned over the past month? Maybe we could open that up. Anything? Anybody want to share on that one? It's always dangerous, you know, when you uh, open things up here for yourself or other people do. <laughs>
the dawn. So I can do that a lot. <laughs> Just get back up. He's really cool to give in. He wants the fellowship, but that's one of his big things. This one, I just realized, oh, you know, there was a time. Moving forward, it's on a, I guess, a personal note as well, thinking about kind of that whole uh, situation is just, um, especially kind of just some things in our family, right, with uh, been going on over the past couple of weeks, just uh, when your, your, when your routine's gone, <laughs> when you're just so tired and extra tired on certain things, you know, it's, of just trying, of just not, trying to not let, like, you think of spiritual things just totally go, but of just, you know, you, you're not going to get your normal, not going to get your normal um, with your routine, you know, scripture and prayer, that kind of thing, but just doing what you can and just trying to keep fighting for it and not letting it go. And sometimes there's, there is sometimes you just got to survive, I think. There are times and seasons on that, but of just continuing to keep fighting for it and then eventually just not letting it go. Of There's times you got to battle, I think. And there's, sometimes it's just survival, but of just continuing to press forward on that. So question, or anything else? Anybody wanted to share on that? Okay. Um, last question here was just uh, another kind of um, question for yourself. With whom did, did you, not do you, with whom did you share the gospel with this past week? And who will you share it with this week? Question to think about yourself. Any other thoughts? Excuse me. Any other thoughts anybody had on lesson reading? You're only willing to go. So, you, you follow Christ, but you're only willing to go so far. Like that is today's like Christianity. Uh, I was talking to a friend, and we were talking about standards and modesty. But you, you're willing to put choices. And she has a, she's like, I'm like the Fundy in the family. And she's like, I've never heard of Fundy, but I've probably considered a Fundy. <laughs> like um, a fundamentalist. So yeah. Fundy is kind of a, it's like, it's a like, negative. So when I was like going around, I'm like, why, why do we stick to some of these things? And you just kind of like, but something doesn't feel right about going that way. But talking about going to the world's way, to make friends with the world, just so we're not criticized. And I think that's the reason a lot of people do it. And it would be easier to do. But anyways, I just thought that was really kind of challenging to go all the way. <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Anybody? One thing that kind of was stood out to me is kind of that whole thing with Peter that, um, and those statements that were in here, just of away from the presence of the Lord, he soon found himself at a place of decision. And then apart from the Lord and under pressure from hostile surroundings is when he dropped it and he fell. And when we distance ourselves from the Lord, again, there's no telling how low we can go. That kind of kind of going back to what I was saying before, you know, just sometimes there is true, it seems, just survival and just continuing to fight and push forward and not letting yourself go back. 
because it's really easy to just let it go. But of just continuing to, it might not, again, it might not be all of what you want to or should, but of just doing and keeping pushing forward. Jacob, when you wrestled with the Lord, you just wouldn't let go. Anything else? Thoughts from anybody? Uh, when Mrs. Zilko was here at the Christmas party years ago, something that stuck out was like keeping our relationship vertical. It's like as far as like criticism, because uh, like this is something I worked on. I can't say I'm doing great at it, but like not letting other people, whether it's your children or Christians, non Christians, whatever, you know, just the world. And how that song this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus, just keeping your focus on him, not letting stuff distract you because like, the devil can really use that to just completely derail you but if I can for me speaking for me focus on myself and the things God wants me to work on in my life instead of I do this Lord, we do thank you for thank you for the lesson this evening and the challenge of just being a disciple uh, that we're called to be disciples of you. We have a relationship with you that we're that we should expect criticism for that, but that we're also commissioned to do not just to soak in, but to do output, not just input. That we should output to input to output and um, just, there's obviously just times in our lives when things are harder and difficult but just help us to continue pressing forward and doing what's right um, that we will be willing to be called counted fools for your sake um, of course the early church and the apostle Paul and just thinking of what they were willing to go through for you and again it can be easy in our um, cushy American society to just kind of not want to go all the way and not uh, want to pay that high of a cost for things, Lord, but um, help us to be willing to be criticized for your sake, that we would, again, we wouldn't take it personally, but to view it as an honor to um, for you. And just please... Um, Pray that you'd uh, be with us and give us safety as we return to our homes this evening and bring us back again um, on Wednesday. In Jesus' name, amen.